If you would, first of all, turn to Romans chapter 6. I want to read Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Listen carefully to the holy, infallible word of God. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who die to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. Now, if you would turn over to Mark in terms of our series in Mark, Mark chapter 1, I'm going to read this morning verses 4 through 11. 4 through 11. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending upon him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we thank thee so much for the blessings that we have in Christ Jesus. We ask that you would enable us to see the glory of the gospel even in his baptism, which is for us. We ask that our hearts would be open to receive such a wonderful blessing. In Christ's name, amen. We recall that after providing the prophetic words 
of Isaiah in verses 3 and 4, John the Baptist appears upon the scene out of nowhere, fulfilling those prophetic words. As John appears, we know nothing of his birth, where he grew up, what he did prior to going into the wilderness to baptize. Well, Mark introduces Jesus in much the same way. All of a sudden, Jesus appears out of nowhere in verse 9. Mark tells us nothing about his birth, where he grew up, and what he did prior to appearing before John in the wilderness by the Jordan. As you read Mark's narrative over the first 11 verses, what is important is that the two individuals, as prophesied by Isaiah, has now arrived and suddenly appeared upon the landscape of history. The voice of the messenger crying in the wilderness, John the Baptist. The voice of one coming in the name of the Lord, who is Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. The true sovereign God of redemptive history is acting upon his word. So since we have not had any background to these two principal figures in Mark's introduction, John the Baptist and Jesus Christ, what is the Holy Spirit doing here in Mark? First, you want to note the flow of the text from verse 8 to verse 9 as you're looking at the text. As John remarks in verse 8, that his baptism is with water, and that the one coming after him will baptize with the Holy Spirit, perhaps you would expect Jesus, the one coming after him, will immediately arrive, baptizing with the Holy Spirit. But that is not the case. Rather, we are introduced for the first time in the historical narrative or Mark's narrative, meaning here from chapter 1, verse 2, onward throughout the entire book, the name of the one who is mightier than John. He is Jesus. And furthermore, at this point, Jesus does not arrive to baptize with the Holy Spirit. Rather, he arrives to be baptized by John. More specifically, with John's baptism. Now, what was the purpose of John's baptism? Well, when we look at that more closely we notice that it is defined in verse 4, a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Now that seems strange. (laughs) Jesus is not a sinner, so why would he need the baptism of repentance 
for the forgiveness of sin. Now do not forget what we said last week in verses, about verses 4 through 8. Israel, all Judea and Jerusalem have gone into the wilderness like Israel did in the Old Testament. They have come to the Jordan River just like Israel did in the Old Testament. It is as if they are about to enter the promised land. This time at the Jordan River stands the last Old Testament prophet. The last Old Testament prophet of judgment. It is Elijah. It is Elijah. One like Elijah. John the Baptist. As these Israelites duplicate a second entrance into the wilderness, John performs the baptism that prepares and must be received in repentance for the forgiveness of sin in order to enter into the final promised land. That final promised land that will start to begin in chapter 1 verse 15 about the kingdom of God. So to repeat, why does Jesus receive the baptism of John? After all, Jesus is perfect. Why does he need repentance for the forgiveness of sin, for entrance into the promised land. First, keep in mind that Jesus is entering the wilderness under the Old Testament covenant to be baptized. In this picture of the second exodus, he is entering into the wilderness to identify with Israel. Remember, Israel as the son of God. We have accented that point time and time again from Exodus chapter 4 verse 22. Israel as the son of God failed in their wilderness journey in the Old Testament. So as the holy and perfect son of God, Jesus enters into the second picture of the Exodus to assure and triumph to assure the triumph of the Son of God in spite of all Israel, Judea and Jerusalem, entering the wilderness once again. Now here's the crucial point. Here's the crucial point. Christ does not enter this wilderness to be baptized because he personally needs to repent and to be forgiven of sin. To repeat, he is perfect. Rather, he is baptized with the baptism under the old covenant in order to assure and establish the new covenant in his perfect righteousness. Simply put, Christ is baptized not because he needs repentance and forgiveness of sin, but because we need repentance and forgiveness of sin through a perfect mediator, 
through a perfect sacrifice. I hope you heard that. I'm going to repeat it. Christ is baptized not because he needs repentance and forgiveness of sin, but because we need repentance and forgiveness of sin through a perfect mediator, through a perfect sacrifice. If you are grasping the weight of what occurred in Jesus' baptism by John, then you can understand why verse 9 is said to be incredible gospel news when we truly penetrate what is happening in Jesus' baptism. Let's look more closely at verse 9 to capture the drama of the gospel for each one of us that are here this morning, for the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at the verb, was baptized, in verse 9. We are talking about Jesus' actual baptism by John in the Jordan. The verb here is in the passive voice. Jesus is the receiver of the act of baptism. As the Protestant world spends almost all its time debating the Greek word baptized in terms of its meaning, does it mean immersion? Does it mean washing? Does it mean sprinkling? Evangelicals are missing the real headline of this verse, the profound spiritual importance for our redemption in this word and in this verse. The verb is describing the role of Jesus' lowly and humble penance as he passively receives for himself the sign of repentance for the forgiveness of sin on behalf of those whom he will redeem for his kingdom. That is you. That is you. The passive voice here is pointing to the redemptive fact, the incredible spiritual truth of Jesus' willing submission to the judgment of God on behalf of the new Israel, his church in transition from the old covenant wilderness scene to the glorious heavenly kingdom of the new covenant. That's what's going on. As perfect, as being perfect, Jesus comes to John as the ideal Israelite, the very Son of God, whose repentance unto the forgiveness of sin on behalf of his chosen people and his kingdom 
the new Israel is perfect. It takes a perfect son for the imperfect new Israel, us, the church, to receive perfect repentance unto the forgiveness of sin. See the incredible gospel message in John's baptism. He comes willingly. He comes to us freely to John. He comes to John freely and willingly in order to receive the burden of God's judgment for the sake of his people. Jesus' mission is defined. His whole mission, you don't want to miss this in this verse. His whole mission is defined by his baptism. He will bear the judgment for sin that his own children deserve through perfect repentance and forgiveness on our behalf. Do you understand? Do you understand this morning the power, the power of Jesus' baptism for you in terms of the church? Do you understand that he is moving Israel, the New Testament church, you, from the judgment of of the law, the Old Testament wilderness, to the era of freedom in the triumph of grace of Christ. Oh yes, what good news for all of us who love the Lord Jesus Christ. As Paul will write, you are not under law but under grace. And do not miss this. As Jesus is first publicly introduced to us in Mark's narrative at his baptism, we need to understand that Mark is immediately directing his reader to the true mission of Jesus coming into the world. His mission is sent from his baptism in the Jordan to his real baptism on the cross and resurrection. Yes, what a rich theme this is. What a rich truth this is. When Jesus finalizes his baptism of repentance and forgiveness of sins as the willing recipient of God's judgment on behalf of his people at Calvary and the release from the grave because of his own perfect righteousness. Are your hearts, are your hearts this morning willing to tie Christ's baptism in the Jordan to Christ's baptism on the cross. If you want help in making that connection, 
from Christ's baptism in the Jordan to Christ's baptism upon the cross, you do not have to look any further, any further at all than Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, which I read for you this morning. Paul makes that connection. Second this morning, let me direct your attention to verse 5 and verse 9. There are some construction similarities between verse 5 and 9 that are important to note. Note there in verse 5, Mark mentions the central province of Judea and the sacred city of Jerusalem. In verse 9, Mark mentions only Nazareth of Galilee. Now look back once again. In verse 5, Mark focuses upon all the establishment of Israel coming out to be baptized by John. On the other hand, in verse 9, he focuses on only one person coming out of Nazareth. At this point, I ask you, are you grasping even further Mark's use of the term all in his narrative when he told us that all Judea and Jerusalem came to be baptized. He is accenting the large group of those establishment Israelites, the all, assembling before John in contrast, in contrast to the one coming from Nazareth of Galilee. The single person, Jesus. Furthermore, it is important to realize the contentious relationship between the Nazareth of Galilee in the north, in the elite establishment of the central province and Jerusalem. In fact, Nazareth was an insignificant village in the north that very few knew about in the south. The village is not even the village of Nazareth. It does not even appear once in the entire Old Testament. Not once. John's Gospel helps us to understand the insignificance of Nazareth at the time of Christ. It is Nathaniel, you probably know it well, himself a Galilean, who makes the famous statement about Jesus. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? John 1, 46. Who would expect the prophet that Moses spoke about coming out of Nazareth. John also records the sheer rejection of the Pharisees from Judea that Jesus, that Jesus the Christ 
could come out of Galilee. That discussion is in John chapter 7, verses 40 through 52, if you want to rehearse that situation. So, (laughs) in order for us to really comprehend the importance of Jesus, the significance and the mission of his person into the world, Mark mentions immediately that Jesus' identity is wrapped up with his coming out of Nazareth of Galilee. In Mark's gospel, Galilee will be a significant, significant area, domain, in terms of the outline of his good news embodied in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Meanwhile, with respect to the expectations of Judea and Jerusalem in verse 5, Jesus is the least, is the least expected candidate to be the Messiah. Oh, how the Lord turns the expectations of the gospel upside down. This one person comes from where? Nazareth of Galilee? Where's that on the map? (laughs) Can't find it. Galilee is bad enough, but the village of Nazareth? Surely you cannot be serious. This one person, Jesus, is going to bear the judgment of his people through this act of repentance and forgiveness for sin. Impossible, impossible, declares the crowd of Judea and Jerusalem. Congregation, (laughs) please allow the Holy Spirit to enable you to grasp the humility of Christ's mission and person as mapped out on the pages of Mark. We, as Christians, constantly fall into the mentality that is found by the establishment here that we see in Christ's day. This sinful spirit has a weakness to be identified with the establishment, the elite, the prestigious, and all those who hunger and thirst to find such identity in them. This mentality of self-righteous superiority is not only found in in the history entire history of fallen humanity, but has found itself really accented in the midst of America, in the midst of the American outlook on life, even as it has invaded American Christianity. We make mortal ministers as well as Christian laity in light of social media today into celebrities. 
We view them as rock stars, movie stars. Success of the gospel is evaluated in terms of how big and how huge a church is. Or in our day, how much a following a person has on social media. I am telling you that such a mentality is absolutely contrary to Mark's presentation of Jesus Christ. As Christ truly is in his person, as Christ truly is in relationship to the gospel he has brought to us in history. I would often make the following point to my students concerning the dangers of American Christianity and life in American culture. If you read the Bible closely, from cover to cover, and you truly understand the revelation of God that it comes through in Scripture, from Genesis all the way through Revelation, one thing should be obvious the Christian should definitely take note of this. One thing should be obvious. The majority is almost always wrong. Read your Bible. The majority is almost always wrong. I plead with you, allow the Jesus of Mark's gospel to awaken you to the humility of Jesus' person and gospel. Christ is the sovereign majority of the one who has ever lived in history. I want to repeat that. Christ is the sovereign majority of the one who has ever lived in history. He is the absolute antithesis, the contrast to the all in human history. See it in the text. The all, verse three, 5. The one, verse 9, in Jesus Christ. Do you truly, truly understand this in your heart? Jesus' journey to the cross beginning with his baptism in Mark's narrative, is a saving picture of the servant Messiah. John the Baptist, in humility, takes the position lower than a slave in his baptism of Jesus. And your Jesus, your Jesus, in humility, takes the position himself On your behalf, he takes the position, terms of his baptism, of humility, 
as he takes upon himself the burden of God's judgment in terms of repentance and forgiveness of sins for each of us. That is what Christ has already accomplished in terms of his redemption for us. So how will you respond? How will we respond to such a baptism by Jesus on our behalf? Jesus in his baptism, we must heed, we must heed to John's call to his baptism, John's baptism in terms of this. We must confess our sins, verse 5. Jesus in his baptism by John does not confess his sins because he never sins. But in the transition from the old covenant wilderness scene to going beyond the waters and the banks of the Jordan River into the glorious kingdom of God, we will have to humble ourselves personally. And we will have to humble ourselves in response to such a great baptism of the Lord Jesus in terms of the Jordan, as well as the fantastic accomplishment of our redemption in his death and resurrection. We must confess our sins, repent of our sins, and believe the gospel of God in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. This is the seal upon Christ's baptism of the Holy Spirit. It is this seal of the Spirit's application of Christ's baptism between the death and resurrection of Christ and his second coming. That seal is not the Pentecostal gifts, which will only be temporary. No. Christ's baptism of the Spirit is the longevity of the Spirit's work in the church in serving the Son of God and his church. And that longevity in the church in terms of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is that the people of God will confess of their sins, they will repent of their sins, and they will believe in Jesus. Jesus the Christ, who has brought such a glorious look glorious redemption to each one of us. Let's pray. Oh Lord, enable us to see the humility of Christ on our behalf. The path in which he walked Give us that glorious gospel in our hearts that we would see what he has done for us with respect 
to the old covenant, but also in terms of the inauguration. He is the inauguration of the new covenant. We ask that thy spirit would come upon us continually in confession, pleading for forgiveness, and having hearts of tremendous faith in what Christ has secured for us. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Let us stand and sing number 415, number 415.
great God and Father, we are so thankful for the blessings that you do give to us. We're thankful that thou hast given to us the one who has gone descended into the creation. He has come. He came into a town called Nazareth. We ask, O oh Lord, in the humbleness of his coming, that we ourselves would give these gifts in the humbleness of our hearts to the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen. You may be seated. We will worship our Lord and our God with our tithes and offerings. grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all forever. Amen.